Perhaps you're like me. I don't have an artistic bone in my body. Maybe you're a struggling artist. Maybe you've wanted to be an artist, but you've never found a way to express it. Or you might be like me and you don't understand artistic expression, especially how it relates to Christianity. Well, today in studio, we're privileged to have artist David Arms to tell us about his journey into the world of art. This is Michael Easley in Context. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. David, you were born in 1956 right here in Tennessee? In Tennessee, East Tennessee. Uh, You grew up in a traditional home, Mm -hmm. church potlucks, Mm -hmm. uh, baseball, small town. Mm -hmm. What did you love to do when you were young? You know, I I love creativity young, but in my generation, there just weren't many opportunities in a small town. Mm -hmm. So you did the traditional. What did you do in high school? I was in the band, um, very social. Were you a nerd? (laughs) No. No? No, more in the middle of everything. Okay. Middle of too many things. What'd you play? What instrument? Saxophone. Saxophone. Yeah. That's a little rough in those days, right? (laughs) That was actually the most fun thing in our high school. Really? Yeah, it was. And then you went to college? I did. Went to Tennessee Tech, but I didn't finish. When you started Tennessee Tech, what did you think you were going to major in? What I should. <laughs> business. <laughs> yeah, doctor, lawyer, business, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just did what I thought I should. And because at that time, if you'd said, list your options, uh, artists sure wouldn't have been there. Did uh, they have an art department? You know, uh, Somewhat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing major. Um, You could have majored in art, but like I said, for a man in that generation, you wouldn't have seen that that as a way of a career uh, path. uh, Mm -hmm. That's right. Now, from there, you start building sets, essentially. Well, I made my way to Nashville, and then um, as only the Lord has really laid out my paths in ways I could have never imagined, I ended up in special event design. And it was back in the heyday of when corporations entertained in ways you cannot even imagine. Yeah. And he dropped me in the middle of that. I knew nothing about it, had no idea what I was doing. But the key to it is you act like you do. Okay. So give us a picture of what these designs were like conceptually. Oh, my goodness. You would, um, For instance, large cor- uh, car corporations would bring all of their dealers in from across the country to one city entertain them to the hilt. So I had the opening night of taking a facility and turning it into something that was totally unrecognizable. It was Mm -hmm. an experience of a lifetime for about three or four hours. So we might work uh, six months to a year on a project that lasts four hours and it was gone. Wow. So this is set design, lighting, painting? It was everything. Everything. Uh, Yeah, every element. And, And that's really where I think I excelled with the detail in those elements that sort of carried them to a place they hadn't been taken at the time. So it was it was something that most people never know about because most of us never go to those. And But it was a world that was beyond my imagination. What, what, what would you call yourself, a stager, an event planner? I was or? an event designer. Event designer. Mm-hmm. So how does an event designer end up painting incredible, marvelous, unbelievable artwork? Well, it's you stay on that path that only the Lord can lay out <laughs> and because it makes no sense. It really doesn't. Uh, but I, um, I traveled a lot with the event design. I was gone maybe two weeks at a time, you know, and, um, and it was very stressful work, extremely 
stressful, long hours, very intense. Um, I love doing corporate work because once they signed off on it, they left you alone till they showed up. Huh. And I love that. Let, let me do my work, but not better be perfect for the corporate right. world. But I love that too. I love that pressure. So when I was at home, I just needed some outlets. And so Michelle and I had a large wall and a large empty frame that needed something in it, but didn't have the funds to, to put something in it. So I thought I could do something and and I did and thought nothing of it really over time. You know, there's a lady that represented artists and she was in our home interested people coming in, interested in buying it. And how big is it? Well, I have to say how big was it? Was it? Oh no. I guess the big, Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, those years later when you've moved along and, you're still insecure. <laughs> I cut it up, and it went. You to the literally tr- cut it up, and it went to the trash. Yeah, makes me sad now. How, how big was it? It was big. It was it. Well, to start off with, of course, me. I don't think of starting off small. <laughs> I, I don't. It was probably three foot by four foot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking this is eight by ten or no, something. No, but I mean that's big. You know, most people think about trying a painting. You try eight by ten, eleven by fourteen inches, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not me. What was it? It was an abstract floral. Abstract floral. It's the only thing I could think of to do. And you're certainly not doing abstract work today. No. Nature, birds, primarily one of your large motifs. Well, like I said, people started, they wanted to buy the work. They wanted to rep the work. I was asked to be in some shows. And it happened so quickly, really, that I had two careers that were more than full time, each of them. So we're in that place of wanting to have children, but those years on the road, I'm going, there's no way I can have a child and be gone for a week or two at a time. I just can't imagine it. So only as God could lay out, um, he overlapped what became two careers and built the art career enough that one month before our first child was born, I retired from the event world and never traveled again. And that's is that 20 years now? 18 years ago. 18 years ago. Yeah. Wow. David Arms, one word, D-A-V-A-D-A-R-M-S-A-R-M-S.com will take you to David's website where you can see some of his work. Do you have your earliest work on here? It goes back to uh, a little before 2005 on there. Okay. Okay. Back in the early days, you had no idea where all this was going. So I never thought of documenting the work. Right. I didn't realize where all this was leading. So I just, I didn't. I don't even have photos myself. Now, you are a detailed person, so you started at some point keeping records. So how many uh, pieces of work have you done? Oh, my goodness. Um, Over 2,000. Over 2,000. Okay. Now, you, I've been at your studio, which is a treat and a delight uh, to Mm. see how you work because you are probably, uh, well, what do I know? Percentage-wise, I would bet you're in the top 1% in the way your studio is completely organized. <laughs> it is clean. Your canvases, which you can talk about in a minute, are totally ordered and exactly, precisely stacked against the wall. <laughs> As you would do it. <laughs> well, but I'm not an artist. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I sit in a chair and study all day. But that's an interesting combination, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you, my, you think of the artist as this, you know, Van Gogh, you know, dirt, yeah. whirling dervish, paint on the floor, clothes tattered, never yeah. bathed, uh, you know, inspired 
tortured people that work on something in most of which is unfinished. Yeah. How many of your works are unfinished? Zero. Zero. I don't move to anything else until I've completed. Have you ever met another artist like that? I can't say that I have. <laughs> That's extraordinary. I have a friend who's published 200 plus books and he's the only one I know that writes to deadline. In other words, he's going to write, let's say a hundred pages this week and he will not stop until he finishes that. Yeah. And just the other day I talked with him, he goes, I'll, I'll finish that book tomorrow. Yeah. And it just, it's just mind boggling that the way God designs us yeah. and makes us. But did, did you start out working to deadline in your own mind or just your personality? I've got to finish this before I do the next one. I think it's more my personality. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just my nature. I can't let something go until I see it complete because I had an idea and I want to see it come to fruition. Have you ever hated one of your paintings? Um, I don't know that I've ever hated one. I've liked some less than others. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because, again, some artists are uh, insecure of showing their work to someone. Yeah. Well, oh. It could be a musician. It could be a vocalist. It could yeah. be a painter. Yeah. It's very intimidating. Yeah. Still today, very intimidating for even, someone like Even me. with all the success you have oh, and yeah. the most magnificent stuff in your in your store, and it's intimidating. Yeah. Still, my hardest days are when we have a show. Yeah. Is that the insecurity of them being critical of it or is it um, you're just not you don't like being in that environment? I'm not. I'm definitely an introvert. There's no doubt about that. I am wired perfectly to be in the studio by myself. Perfectly. Enjoy every minute of it without leaving for leaving the property for days at a time. And your bride's just the same way. She could hole up and never talk to a person all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quiet. <laughs> Opposites attracted, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah okay. they did, they did. Um, but no, it is unusual, but my environment inspires me so much, and uh, my studio's probably the opposite of what comes to anybody's mind. You know, you think of an artist studio as white, big, spacious, and mine's good size, but it's dark. Mm -hmm. It's like being in a den. And you have this very cool uh, bird feeder outside your yeah. windows, um, with some microphones yep. that you then amp into your uh, studio so you hear the finches and the, the – I'm, I'm sure being in Middle Tennessee, we get a lot more than sparrows and finches. Oh, yeah. And so we're, we're, in, uh, we're in Thoreau. We're at Walden Pond or something <laughs> in, the arms, in the arms studio. In my world, yeah. As a believer in Jesus Christ, how do you integrate your faith, uh, what you believe about the Word, in what you're doing on, and you don't use canvas, by the way, you piece of wood. That's right. How do you integrate your faith into that, David? Well, there was the day in my career, I can still remember I was, uh, I was doing shows in, in secular galleries. And um, fortunately, the, the gallery in Green Hills in, in Nashville, uh, owned by a friend, and we've known each other for years, um, didn't come from the same direction, but he loved me and trusted me. And I did a show there every year. It was it had been going for years. And I just knew one day, I remember that there was more that I wanted to do than paint a pretty picture. And I really believe to this day, I can't prove this, but I believe that if I only painted pretty pictures, I think I'd be burnt out. Hmm. But there was that moment I knew I wanted to say more because I've always wished I was wired in a way like a you or a Lloyd or someone and 
because I had a lot to say, but I'm just not an upfront kind of person. Mm-hmm. And is the Lord just revealed to me one day going, okay, now I've given you a voice and your voice is paint. And it just clicked and that I did a show without telling the gallery owner what was coming. That was definitely faith-based. It was expressing my, my faith Mm -hmm. and it was very risky. I think it shocked him at first, but boy, the conversations he and I ended up having were incredible. And the conversations I had with guests at the show were amazing. Uh, It's because it's art Non-believers would talk to me about it, mm-hmm. and without uh, their defenses up, it's mm-hmm. amazing. So I've never, I've never looked back. I, I think what separates it from maybe other quote-unquote Christian art, whatever that means, is I don't necessarily paint about faith in always such a pretty picture, the the rosy side, because I think faith is difficult. Uh, there's struggles with it, and um, that comes through my work. We want faith to make sense all the time, and it just doesn't. And I paint about that a lot, that you still have to trust even when it doesn't make sense. For those that have looked at your site, again, davidarms.com, when when you go there, you see the bird motif a lot. Talk about the bird, the lines, the wires, things that are suspended and floating. Yeah. I've always been inspired by nature. I just – that's the – where I feel closest to God. I mean, it's just – that's his handiwork direct, and I feel like you're almost – Get hold hands with him almost when you touch nature. Well, the birds become more specific. I use them to symbolize us as humans in different scenarios. And um, you will see those strange perches I use. Mm-hmm. They're hanging by two strings, and they make no sense whatsoever, but they're being held from strings coming from the top of the painting, and there's a bird sitting still on well, all that has to do with the perches uh, not making sense is faith not making sense. But we've got to be able to rest in that and be still and trust. And it's those hands that are holding us that won't let us go. When you, um, when you start out with something in your head, what uh-huh. do you want a viewer to look at? What do you think God is, uh, um, can we say, God's guiding you uh-huh. uh, to make this expression? And then... As you're working on it, you've got it somewhere in there go, okay, Lord, how in the world is this going to work, and what will it communicate to a person that doesn't understand art? Most of the time I have a pretty clear direction, but sometimes I don't have the whole picture. But I don't know. I think if you pray about the work, you just keep going, and, and you're, you're given what's next. And in the end, you get the message. Nine times out of ten, I know the message. Pretty much know what the, the whole concept, composition, everything. Mm-hmm. But there are those fun surprises that come when there's a shift in the middle and you go, oh, my word, I didn't see that coming. From a literary standpoint, I can see a writer watching that evolve, Mm -hmm. and they can go back and edit and cut and paste Mm -hmm. literally and metaphorically. Can a painter? Some painters can. My style, not so much. No. Uh, Mine really is planned from the first layer of paint. And you don't sketch it out. You don't pencil it out on the board. Mm -mm. Now, I do stage uh, probably 90% of mine, light them, photograph them, and then work from the photograph. Okay. And and you have never taken an art class? No. No. I would love to. uh, um, (laughs) (laughs) No, never. I remember there was somebody in our uh, neighborhood that, you know, when I was young, but that's it. Um, You work with oils? Acrylic. Acrylic? Mm Mm-hmm. How did you learn about brushes? How did you learn about... Just do it. You just 
Kept yeah. trying it. I'll try anything. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes to tools, materials. I love trying new things. And I still would love to do new things, but now I'm so busy that I can't, can't try. try new things. Um, beyond acrylic, do you, you sketches, any charcoals, any mm-hmm. watercolors ever? I don't. No. Wow. No. I, so you found a niche. I did. There's someone out there listening to you and me, and they've uh, sketched, they've doodled, they've tried painting. Um, they're insecure about it. They don't know how to start or what to do. Maybe they've been trying and people say, you're such a great artist, and yet they're insecure. How would you encourage them? And maybe as importantly, how would you differentiate this is something you should try versus maybe you shouldn't go down this road? I think in, in the early stages, especially when, with young kids, uh, parents come to me a lot asking me you know, where to send them for classes and that kind of thing. But most of my instruction is give them the materials, just let them at it, see what happens. There's an X amount of it, I think, is inside of you. There are things you can be trained to do, but there's just an X amount of the creativity, I think, is there. I think if you'll just dive into it, keep working, even when you get discouraged, keep using materials, you just know if it's there. Um, If you really feel like it's there, I I encourage uh, people to to go for it. Uh, Now, do I think it's in everybody? I don't necessarily think so. I think we're all wired differently. And um, I think mine was there. It just never had the opportunity to be tapped into at a young age. So I I just, I say, put your hands in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Work. So because so many artists in speaking, not stereotypically, but they they think a lot, they dream a lot, Mm -hmm. whether it's a musician, a sculptor, or a person with clay, or a person with paint, and they don't execute. Mm -hmm. They don't finish. Yes. I know some artists out there that are incredibly talented. I'm in awe of their talent, um, but there's just not the discipline and the work ethic to produce the work. I, I don't know that that's unique to any any uh, work, if we don't call that's it right. working labor, writing a sermon every that's week. That's right. Uh, you got to finish. That's right. You got to. It doesn't matter how good or bad you think it is. You've got to finish. You've got to work at it, work at it, work at it. And it is remarkable how many people don't have the discipline to just get up and write. Exactly. Were you that way before you were painting for a living? Well, I had to be that way in the event industry. Okay, right. I mean, they're talking about a deadline. That door is going to open. I know a year out when that door is going to open. In college, were you that way, taking classes? I can't really say that yeah. was. So, but, no. but we're but we're growing is yes. my point. Yeah. We're learning. Is, yeah. And, you know, we can still learn at 40, 50, 60. You know what a lot of that is, I think? I thought I didn't like school. I did. I did not have good teachers, really. But now – when I was able to learn in a different way, have been exposed to great teachings, I realized I really did love to learn. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in our teens, we're not always, uh, we can't see beyond the, okay, this professor is not the best. How can I learn mm-hmm. in spite of, and it was grad school before I understood that. Yeah. And it was because I had a professor telling me, uh, draw a line down the page. And he said, take the notes you have to on one side, and on the other side, write down what you're interested in. If you were teaching it, what you would be saying, the oh, questions wow. you have about the subject. And it was it revolutionized sitting through lectures or sermons wow. or any experience going. And that was a great illustration. Wow. What was he or she accomplishing? That, that one wasn't. How would I do it differently? And we don't teach people how to learn, mm-hmm. I think, is, is a liability for educators. How did you come to know Christ? 
Well, I came up in a kind of a traditional church home, Church Christ, actually. I was baptized when I was 16. And do I think I knew him then? Yeah, I do. Uh, I can't ever remember not feeling God's presence and really relying on it, even through family struggles. And um, I always depended on that. Um, I had an aunt that was an, uh, probably the strongest role model in my life, uh, the strongest influence in my life, um, that I could see Jesus in the flesh almost. Mm. It was, and that was kind of a guiding point for me. And so I always felt that. Now, did that mean I walked the walk? Well, no, not necessarily. Mm. I didn't. And but I never thought it wasn't there ever. Now. You know, you move into the twenties when you're when you know everything. Uh, you know, you you sort of take things into your own hands a little more. Uh, but then the more life that gets under your belt at that point, mm-hmm. that's when it drew me closer and closer to a really intimate relationship. David, when you look at at people who express themselves in art, especially visual media, um, there's a lot that we shouldn't be painting, photographing, seeing, and that I sound like a prude saying that. How do you differentiate between where beauty goes too far? Man, I just I think if that image in itself can't bring glory to God, and I know you can take that and justify it in all kinds of ways that it does, but if it becomes justification, it just, I just think you avoid it. Uh, you don't. Uh, God creates beauty, and... Um, I know beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but he's not offensive. And that's a whole other subject right, right there is what is offensive. Sure. It, it is. Uh-huh. Um, but I just think we can use it as a crutch, too. And um, I think it's a very, very touchy place, a very sensitive place. And I, I think it's a place to be very careful. One of my um, homiletic professors made the comment once. He said, if if a cheap joke or a coarse, you know, an edgy piece of humor gets a cheap laugh, um, and maybe it's a, a gray area. He goes, you got to ask yourself, was that worth the gray area to wow. get that audience to laugh or to snicker or to think, oh, he's real? And that was always a, a good alignment for me, the one who could be pretty snarky. That's a great <laughs> and, way to put it, actually. You, you really don't need that cheap laugh. You really don't mm-hmm. need that. And when it goes to, to nudes or to pornography or to areas where, where art just almost seems to slide off the cliff so quickly, mm-hmm. um, do we need to go there? Yeah. If you want just a quick answer, mine's no. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think we have to. Last question. How do you integrate your faith with art? Okay. I, I, I'll give a broad qu- answer first. I think create beauty create substance um, that brings glory to God. There's the big picture there. Now, I, I, I hone in a little more. I'm more direct in, in my faith. Uh, some of it's, it's blatant. There's not a doubt about what it's about. Some of it I draw you in visually first, make something visually appealing, and then somebody's inside it, and then they find, realize what it's about, and then the conversation starts. It's me speaking to you with paint. It really is. I feel yeah. like it's my dialogue just put into a, a painting. And um, so in my mind, as I'm preparing a painting, there is a dialogue going on with God, and I think I make the dialogue visual. I can't get up and speak in front of a group like you can. 
He lets me sit in my studio by myself and have a voice to thousands of people. I still cannot hardly believe it. There couldn't be anything more well-designed for me than that. And now I have a gallery, and that's a whole new world. And when you come to Middle Tennessee and you get near Leaper's Fork, you must, must go see David's Barn. You will not want to leave. <laughs> you will walk in and you want to say, let me just stay here for a while. Yeah, I get that all the time. It's a special place. <laughs> it is a unique venue. It's really, yeah. really sweet. DavidArms.com. You will go there and spend a lot of time looking at his site. This is Michael Easley in context. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com. Follow Michael on Twitter at Dr. Easley. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.